When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. All right, this week on Live in the Bream, you may notice we've got a little bit of a theme lately. We are going to continue to talk about education, the state of it in America, how it's changing, um, what parents can do to get more involved and be more aware as I think they have over the last couple of years. So somebody who knows all about that is former education secretary, Bessie DeVos, and she is the author of a brand new book you're going to want to hear all about. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, it's called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. Uh, Madam Secretary, welcome. Thanks, Shannon. Great to be with you. And it's Betsy, please. Okay, Betsy, it will be. Um, I, I think of you as I think of uh, my mom, Marie, as somebody who dedicated her life to education and um, worked in different kinds of schools, but primarily in private schools where she made no money, but she felt like it was a great match for really serving kids. Um, what is your take on where we are in the state of education across our country right now? Well, Shannon, um, American education had a lot of shortcomings um, well before COVID, but the last two years have really laid bare for families across the country and, you know, grandparents and neighbors and friends, just how many failings there are and how it is not serving so many kids, um, really probably the majority of kids. Most of them are assigned to their assigned schools and don't have another choice to go somewhere else don't have the resources to go somewhere else. And so the fact that that has been laid bare the last two years really does bring us to a point where um, policymakers need to be looking closely at the changes they must make to empower families to make the choices for their kids. You know, and there's been this growing conversation in recent years and decades about let the money follow the student, let the parents take whatever that public funding is and take it to a school of their choice. We're waiting on a case from the Supreme Court right now that is examining, you know, taking that money and putting it into a private school. Does that violate the idea of separation of church and state? Um, But what do you think of that concept? A lot of people worry it would leave some schools in dire straits where they're really struggling. And if every decent student pulled out and every family who cared about education pulled out, that the ones left behind um, would be struggling in the worst case scenario. Well, that is actually the argument that those who try to defend and protect the status quo make about uh, not allowing the freedom for families to make those decisions. And we, you know, I call it broadly education freedom. So it does mean directing the funds that are already meant for each individual child. I metaphorically talk about putting it in a backpack. You know, kids go to school every day with what they need for the day. Metaphorically, we should be putting their their uh, the funds that every state and, and the federal government spends on that child's education in that backpack, and the family can decide where the child should go to school. If that's their assigned public school, if it's working for them, that's great. But there are other alternatives, and every family needs to have that opportunity. The reality is, uh, for example, in the state of Florida, where many children are choosing, because Florida is the most advanced in education freedom, uh, where they're choosing other schools and sometimes other districts, 
all of the all of the achievement levels improve for kids, kids who stay in their assigned public school and then kids who make other choices. Uh, The reality is people will change behavior. They will make adjustments and improvements. And if they don't, then a traditional school should go out of business and should be reconstituted as something else. So let's talk about a couple of the different um, possibilities. Charter schools, they've had a lot of controversy, a lot of back and forth about whether they can meet the full accreditation uh, standards of the communities that they're in, um, about whether, again, they pull the families that are most concerned and most involved in their kids' education out of where they could be continuing to have a conversation about changing the public school. Um, Some people love them. Some people hate them. Some people feel threatened by them. Uh, What do you think about charter schools? Well, charter schools are a great option for millions of kids, now well more than two and a half million kids attending charter schools in the country. And that number has only grown uh, coming through COVID. And the last report, there were over a million kids on waiting lists for charter schools. So charter schools are one choice that families can make. Uh, private schools, parochial schools, home schools, virtual schools, there's, there's no end to the number of options. And frankly, we would begin to see a lot more creativity when we ultimately empower every family with those resources for each child's education. And, uh, you know, we've been living in this one size fits all 175 year old system that isn't working for too many kids. Even before COVID, we were having big challenges with making sure that kids receive the education and the preparation they need to be constructive members of society in the future. So what about homeschools? Because um, I know a lot of people, I've got someone on my staff who was brilliant and wonderful and excelled in college who was homeschooled and they have kind of this reputation. It's dorky, weird people that are, you know, in, in religious compounds and um, but it seems to be growing in popularity with a lot of different segments. Um, Do you think that that's a viable option for kids now too? Absolutely. Um, Dixon, my two daughters, we homeschooled them for three years during their K-12 years. I had many close friends who homeschooled their children all through K-12. And, uh, and interestingly, in the during all of the shutdowns and all of the mandates and everything, and, and then the revelations around curriculum, um, the number of reported homeschoolers has more than doubled in the last year and a half. And interestingly, among Black families, it's quintupled from 3% to 15%. And these are the only the numbers that have been reported. Those options need to be supported. And um, those families who have found little uh, homeschool cooperatives with a number of other families and have perhaps hired a great teacher to come and help make sure all of the kids are uh, making their progress in their subject areas, those kinds of opportunities need to have room to grow and to proliferate if that's what other families choose. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze 
to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, so let's talk about a lot of the recent controversies with schools. Some of it is with sex assaults. We'll get into that. Some of it is CRT, whether it's actually a thing or whether it's not a thing or whether these are a bunch of scary you know, straw men that the right is throwing out there to pull people out of public schools. Um, we see heated school board meetings over any number of topics, um, whether uh, a curriculum is appropriate for age levels and for conversations that maybe parents think they should have at home. So how do you respond to those who say, listen, this is a bunch of garbage. It's the right trying to scare everyone. No one's teaching CRT, or if they are, it's something that you know is a fit for K through 12 um, and that there's a lot of misinformation with the right now targeting schools and the left? Well, the reality is that parents across the country saw what was going on in their children's classroom up front and personal during uh, remote education and, and distance learning. And many of them, whether it was CRT materials or anything else, uh, the, the reality is a lot of this has been going on in schools and now parents just saw it. And because of that, they are they are raising their voices. We've seen more um, parents involved in school board races and school board meetings. And tragically, the defenders of the status quo are turning on parents and, in fact, you know, called on through the school boards association and the White House called on the De Department of Justice to send the FBI in to investigate parents that are just speaking up for their kids. And so uh, this is this is a broad issue, a broad problem. And um, we should collectively be de being be demanding radical transparency around curriculum and what is going on in kids' classrooms. And when that's resisted, that is yet another reason that families need to be empowered to make the decisions for their kids' educations themselves. We are talking with former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Her new book, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. Um, you talk about curriculum and transparency. And obviously, I would think First of all, we as taxpayers are funding these schools, so we should be able to see what's going on. But as a parent, especially a child who's younger, I, I can't imagine what the argument is against letting parents see what you're teaching their children. Um, that would be a red flag for me as a parent. Uh, but I know that there are those in the older grades and in high school who will talk about issues of sexuality and say, we have to protect these kids by they can confide in us, but us not telling their parents what's going on and what we're doing Um so what do you make of, of that part of the conversation saying, listen, if these kids are fearful of the judgment or the response they'll get at home, then we as teachers and educators should allow them to keep their secrets here with us? Well, first of all, um, you know, family and parents are the first educators and they they need to be the ones who know what's going on with their children. Um, it is not a decision for the school or the government to make to withhold information from parents 
And um, and there's there's just been way too many revelations of secrecy around these things and um, and and, uh, you know, surprises to families who simpler parents who simply want to know what is you know, what's happening in their child's classroom and their child's school. This is uh, this is a, a fundamental right as parents. And uh, another reason why I think the continued call for um, education freedom and empowering families to make those choices has continued to grow because we see too many instances and incidences of this happening um, in schools around the country. And it's not just in, uh, you know, liberal urban areas. It's also in small uh, rural school districts. Um, I'm familiar with one even very close to uh, close to home here in West Michigan. And so this is this is something that I think parents are right to be raising their voices about, and uh, they need to continue to be able to demand from their traditional public schools transparency around what's going on. You had some bold moves that critics did not love when you were secretary of education. So let me ask you about those. Um, This idea of accused in a sexual assault situation, them having more rights. I mean, we think of it, I think of it as a lawyer, as due process, um, but there was a lot of backlash and um, response to what you had proposed. Do you stand by what you proposed back then when you were secretary and, and what do you make of where we are now? Well, we actually went through the rulemaking process. So not only did we propose uh, a rule, the rule is it has the force of law today. And what it does is provide a very reliable, consistent framework for institutions, for schools to use when dealing with these matters on their campuses. It puts the, the complainant in charge of what happens and what unfolds. Um, what they want to see if they just want to, uh, you know, not have classes with the other individual or uh, change dorms or they, they are the ones who can call the shots on how that unfolds. And importantly, the one who's being accused has the guarantee that their due process rights will be protected. It seems very surprising that we had to actually uh, go through a rulemaking process to guarantee this because hundreds of lawsuits had been brought against schools who did it wrong. And many of of the vast majority of them were found in favor of the, uh, of the accused who did not receive a due process consideration. So this is a, this was a very um, laborious and painstaking process to ensure that in these very unfortunate and regrettable circumstances that Everyone involved can count on a framework and a, an approach that is going to respect both parties' rights. It is a very difficult situation. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon. I mean, we would like it to be, but um, we hear about these cases and report on them, it seems like, on a weekly, a monthly basis. So um, I'm hoping with schools having more structure to the way that they navigate these things, that, as you said, it would be uh, the best possible scenario for everybody involved. Um, Obviously, in the headlines right now, um, today, yet another January 6th hearing, the third one, Congress has got many more to come. I know you've spoken a bit on um, your feelings about that day and and the fallout and um, President Trump conversations that you had with then Vice President Pence. Um, what's on your mind as you watch this now coming back, you know, nearly a year and a half later and delving into getting more of a background about exactly how that day played out and who was responsible for what? 
Well, it's uh, it's difficult to see, difficult to be reminded of a, a very um, difficult day and and period of time. And um, I, I just hope that uh, we can very soon get uh, get past all of this and be moving to looking to the future. Um, I am I'm very much a forward looking person. Um, it's important from time to time to look in the rearview mirror, but I'd much rather be looking through the windshield and really uh, talking about where we need to go next. And I hope that we can do that again very soon. I mean, the president, then President Trump, only had a couple of weeks left in his term at that point uh, formally. Um, Do you think that he understood he had not won the election at that point? Was it your wish that he might have resigned or stepped away in that interim? It was such a short period of time, but some people thought that it would have been important to make a statement. Well, we had so much that we could have accomplished yet following the election in November of that year. And um, and I continued to double down and work on the things that we needed to bring to a conclusion and, uh, and, and, and importantly, try to you know, finish as strong as possible. And um, my you know, one of my regrets is that we we just didn't collectively as an administration, we weren't highlighting all the really good and important things that we had accomplished. And uh, I, I really wish that we could have and would have done that. Do you foresee that you would ever take another government or public position at some point in a future administration or run for something yourself? Well, I never say never to anything, <laughs> but because I never had uh, anticipated serving as secretary of education, uh, I don't have plans to do any of that. I'm going to continue focusing on doing what I can to advance policies that will empower families and help kids find uh, their right education fit. That's been my life's calling, and I remain as passionate or more passionate about it than ever before. Again, we're talking with former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Her book, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. A couple questions post K through 12. What do you make of our higher education system? Do you think that um, students should be channeled in other directions? You know, we hear more about vocational training, the military going straight to work, all kinds of other options. Do you think that given, you know, this constant conversation we have about forgiving billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars in student aid um, and lending and student loans, um, what, you know, what, could, what should our conversation be about post 12th grade? So we, this is something that President Trump was very strong on talking about and, and the whole administration um, and we in the Department of Education about really supporting and highlighting multiple pathways beyond high school, because we know for a fact that today there are millions of jobs going unfilled that require something beyond high school in terms of additional education, but it might be a certificate or a, a credential or Um, importantly, there's real opportunity to establish a lot more apprenticeship type opportunities to really fulfill the needs of uh, for, for, you know, employers and really important career paths. But we keep we, we keep going back to this four year college or university experience as the path to success. I think we've gone a long way to breaking that down and convincing more and more Americans that that isn't necessarily the right path. We need to do more with policy to support that. And we need to importantly allow for and encourage more alternative 
uh, higher ed experiences to take root and allow for more students to find those opportunities. Uh, this is this is another important inflection point, I think, for education, and that is acknowledging that uh, a four-year education, um, as we have uh, sort of you know, thought about it in the, in the past century is not necessarily what every, it's certainly not what everyone should pursue. And it's not necessarily the answer to the future for uh, the vast majority of young people rising in this country. Mm -hmm. We have so much opportunity, which is a huge, huge blessing um, and something none of us should take for granted in this family. All right. Before we are in this country, which is sort of a family, um, before we let you go, I always like to ask, um, what do you do for fun? Do you have any downtime? You're busy. You're going to be out promoting this book. But if you have some downtime, what do you like to do? Well, I'm first and foremost, love to be with my family. I have Dick and I have 10 grandchildren now, so they are great fun. The eldest is 11. So you can imagine it's very busy when they all get together. Um, and I love to travel. I love to read. Uh, I love to be on the water anywhere, anywhere in any size craft. Um, I just love being on the water. It's very peaceful. And uh, my, I love being on the water with family. So that those are some of the things I enjoy doing. Yes. Even if it's an inner tube, I love it. Just to get out yeah. there, um, splash around. There is something very peaceful and calming, I think, about the water. Uh, yeah. Okay. We've been talking with former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos today on Live in the Bream. Her book, again, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education, Freedom, and the Future of the American Child. If you have questions about where our system is now, all the recent controversies, um, and what may be best for our kids moving forward, um, it's a fantastic read, and we wish you all the best with it. Secretary, thanks for stopping by. Live in the Bream. Thanks so much, Shannon. Great to be with you. Have a great summer. Thanks. You too. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.